for Monday, March 30th, 2020. This is Did You Wash Your Hands? We're a podcast from WABE answering the questions everyone's asking during the COVID-19 pandemic. I'm health reporter Sam Whitehead. Today, the head of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says the lack of a robust public health system has left the country unprepared for the coronavirus pandemic. For decades, collectively, our nation's underinvested in public health. Now, I think people understand um, that that can really have significant consequences. Dr. Robert Redfield joins me for an extended conversation. That's next. You love free, and at Ameris Bank, so do we. That's why we're proud to offer worry-free, hassle-free Ameris Bank free checking. Manage your money your way with convenient access to digital, mobile, and telephone banking, all with no monthly service fee or minimum balance requirements. At Ameris Bank, we're with you. For more information or to open an account, visit our local bankers in person or online at amerisbank.com slash free checking. Other fees such as overdraft fees may apply. Ameris Bank, member FDIC, equal housing lender. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Support for WABE's local coverage on maternal health and mortality comes from Georgia Health Initiative, whose mission is to inspire and promote collective action that advances health equity for all Georgians. Learn more at georgiahealthinitiative.org. President Trump has been holding almost daily press conferences on what his administration is doing to fight the coronavirus. But we haven't heard much recently from the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Dr. Robert Redfield, director of the Public Health Agency, says that should change in the future. It's just one of the many things we discussed when we spoke earlier today. I started by asking Dr. Redfield what his agency has learned since the start of this crisis. You know, Sam, I think a couple of the important things that we uh, have learned, let's take transmission in and of itself. This virus does have the ability to transmit far easier than flu. It's probably now about three times as infectious as flu. So that's one thing to be important. One of the information that we have pretty much confirmed now is that a significant number of individuals that are infected actually remain asymptomatic. That may be as many as 25%. That's important because now you have individuals that may not have any symptoms that can contribute to transmission, and we have learned that, in fact, they do contribute to transmission. And finally, of those of us that get symptomatic, it appears that we're shedding significant virus in our oral pharyngeal compartment probably up to 48 hours before we show symptoms. So I think this helps explain Uh, how rapidly this virus continues to spread across the country because we have asymptomatic transmitters and we have individuals who are transmitting 48 hours before they become symptomatic. Thinking about that spread, modeling that the Trump administration has been looking at shows that there's likely to be an initial surge in the hospital and and a peaks of death from COVID in April and and May. Uh, But that same modeling says after that, some 95 percent of Americans will still have not been exposed to this virus at all. 
to protect that 95% of Americans, won't we need massive testing all over the country to control any renewed spread of COVID? Most respiratory viruses have a seasonality to them, and it's reasonable to hypothesize. We'll have to wait and see. But I think many of us believe as we're moving into the late spring, uh, early summer season, you're going to see the transmission decrease, similar to what we see with flu, as the virus then moves into the southern hemisphere, similar to flu. Um, We will then have a period of time um, to continue to work on countermeasures and to continue to work on um, being able to optimize the public health response. As you know, there's a number of states right now that have limited transmission. And so getting back into those states with the public health community for early case definition, uh, isolation, contact tracing, to go back to the basics, um, I think this is what we're going to be doing very aggressively May, June, July, uh, to try to use those standard public health techniques to limit uh, the ability to have uh, wide-scale community transmission. Uh, As we get prepared, most likely, uh, for uh, another wave that uh, we would anticipate in the uh, late fall, early winter, um, uh, where there will still be a substantial portion of Americans that are susceptible, hopefully we'll aggressively uh, re-embrace some of the mitigation strategies that we have determined uh, had impact, particularly social distancing. And I would like to say this for everybody. First, I'd like to thank all the Americans and all the people in our nation that have taken this to heart and really practiced aggressive social distancing. Uh, Secondly, for those that are still on the sidelines, I'd like to tell them now's the time to really embrace this. This is not just a little recommendation on a piece of paper. This is a very powerful weapon. This virus cannot go from person to person that easily. It needs us to be close. It needs us to be within six feet. Uh, If we just distance ourselves, this virus can't sustain itself and it will go out. I'm reminded about the NBC and it's now on my Twitter, lining up matches and then lighting the matches and they all light and then you just take out one match and the fire goes out. So this social distancing that we're pushing, asking every uh, person in our nation to embrace it, that is a powerful weapon and that will shut this outbreak down sooner than it otherwise would have been shut down and as next uh, season comes up it's going to be important that we re-embrace that social distancing dr redfield thinking about the cdc's response here when will your agency have some kind of public tracking system of every single test result in the country whether that's done in a hospital a public or a commercial lab knowing where these cases are prepares you to respond yeah i think we're really close. I mean, we get daily reports from all of the testings coming in. Obviously, FEMA is the data coordinating center, um, but I think really strong integrated data is is currently occurring between, you know, down at the county level um, where we're getting um, positive tests and where we're seeing new clusters and and where we are responding. One of the critical areas is, of course, is long-term care facilities. Uh, We now have over 400 long-term care facilities in this nation that have now outbreaks. We're constantly going into those care facilities, trying to limit these outbreaks. We're obviously trying to prepare other assisted living uh, centers. At the end of the day, Sam, most of us who get this infection will recover. 
majority of people do, probably over 98%, almost 98.5%, 99% recover. The challenge is, uh, is the older, the vulnerable, the elderly, those with uh, significant medical conditions where this virus has shown a propensity to have a, a significant mortality. Sure. It seems like a challenge, too, will be even if t- testing ramps up where we can get a, a clear picture of what this outbreak really looks like on the ground in the country, um, then public health agencies are going to need to prepare, be prepared to respond, um, you know, identifying cases, contacting cases, isolating people um, as needed. Uh, what is the CDC's plan to help with those efforts long term? Is this just training for these local public health departments? Do you have people or resources you can send them? I think we currently are uh, sending and we'll send more. But I will say, Sam, I think one thing that I think this coronavirus outbreak has really illustrated, something I've uh, said since I came into this position, is you know, we should be over-investing in public health, over-preparing, not under-preparing. Dr. Redfield, I mean, can, can you commit to actual money or, or, or personnel to do that work? I mean, I know here in Fulton County, where I am, um, it kind of just was mentioned in passing that we have a bunch of unfilled positions in our county public health department. So so what, what practically does that help from the CDC look like? Well, I think, as you know, the CDC provides in between 50 and 70 percent of the public health funding for all state, local, territorial, and tribal health departments. Clearly, with the uh, supplemental, uh, first supplemental that came with CDC got additional funding, I know very rapidly we got over, I think, close to $565 million out to the state and local health departments to begin to let them expand their local capacity. With the second, third supplemental, uh, CDC is getting an additional, I think, close to $4.4 billion, most of which is going to go out to help. But as you mentioned, it, does, it doesn't help if we can't create these jobs in a way that individuals want to come and enter the public health workforce. So we're going to continue to try to uh, encourage and facilitate the local, state, and territorial health departments to have the resources to hire these individuals as we try to motivate uh, many in the American uh, public to see that this is a great this is a great vocation to be part of it. I mean, it is actually National Doctors' Day. But rather than just thank doctors today, I, you know, I want to thank all the healthcare workers and all the public health workers and all the first responders. And I want to encourage uh, people that are wondering what they might want to do with their life for the next three years. I think fully engaging in being part of this public health uh, uh, team that's going to bring this outbreak once and all to an end. Uh, I would encourage people to do that. I'm confident we're going to continue to have more resources to do that. And uh, hopefully this will bring in a, an ear of uh, local, state, territorial, public health departments that actually will get to the point that they, they have resilience, redundancy, and they are overprepared for the challenges that will come in the future. Looking a little bit more at Georgia, where, of course, CDC is located, um, we have areas in this state where we still don't have confirmed cases. But, you know, we know that without more testing, we can't assume that there aren't cases there. Um, you know, Georgia, as I'm sure you know, has counties that don't have a single doctor uh, in them. And so we potentially have places where we're not testing. Um, and then the healthcare system is not very robust. So how does the CDC convince people in counties like that or officials in counties like that to, to take this outbreak seriously? Well, I think, you know, we continue to work in partnership, you know, I mean, that's the key to how our public health system works. Um, we are uh, continuing to uh, try to provide additional resources and guidance Uh, We will be expanding surveillance, uh, you know, throughout the United States so that 
we'll have a better uh, eye on where this virus is. We'll be working with the state and local health departments to do that. I think the group that is going to be the most important, particularly uh, as we get to a time where uh, we're able to begin to start to reopen uh, some of the economy based on uh, data showing that this outbreak is now at a point where that balance can be met. The, the big areas that we have to make sure we don't then have new uh, huge community clusters are these areas that have had very limited transmission. Uh, so we do have the resources to go in there and make that early diagnosis of those original cases, do the isolation contact tracing. Um, so it is going to be really important that we continue to expand the ability of the public health system to have the capacity that it needs. That's why I said that I think, I don't think anybody would disagree that for decades, um, collectively, our nation's underinvested in public health. Uh, now, I think people understand um, that that can really have significant consequences. And now, now is the time for us to overinvest, overprepare in public health. This virus is going to be with us. Uh, this is, you know, I'm hopeful that we'll get through this first wave and and have some time to prepare for the second wave. I'm hopeful that the private sector and its ingenuity and uh, working with the government, NIH, will develop a vaccine that ultimately will change uh, the impact on this virus. But for the next 24 months, uh, you know, we're all in this together. And the most important thing that we can do is twofold, the American public fully embracing um, the social distancing that we requested uh, to protect the vulnerable. And secondly, to operationalize the bread and butter public health you know, early case identification, isolation, contact tracing, so that this outbreak does not get the upper hand as it has, unfortunately, in New York City and Northern New Jersey and some of the other, and now New Orleans, uh, so that that will no longer occur. We have seen here in Georgia, I think what we've been seeing um, in a lot of countries across, a lot of states rather across the country, um, municipalities and counties kind of taking a piecemeal approach to, say, issuing stay-at-home orders or, or other kinds of prevention measures. It seems like maybe naive to think that people don't cross city or county lines or even state lines. What can the CDC do to encourage a more unified response uh, to basic public health prevention measures across the country? Well, I, again, CDC was instrumental in, in working with the task force to really come up with the uh, the uh, 15 days to slow the spread of coronavirus and now that is being extended. So really all of those recommendations were based on CDC's recommendation. And we did it as a national recommendation, just kind of for the reason you just said, that we've wanted the whole nation to fully embrace these social distancing strategies, you know, avoid gatherings of 10 people, one in 10 people or less, to work and, and, and do school from home as much as possible, uh, to stay six feet away from individuals, to minimize your movement outside the home. And where, you know, letting the local governor and the local jurisdictions define exactly how they're going to implement, particularly, you know, some have issued shelter and home orders, uh, make that a local decision. But our guidance was a national recommendation um, for everyone um, to really fully embrace uh, both our personal hygiene recommendations, our social distancing recommendations, our minimizing movement recommendations, our recommendations to 
uh, curtail visiting nursing homes, uh, contact your loved ones either by letter or by phone. So I think we'll continue to do that. We'll continue to provide the evidence uh, as we get it about which jurisdictions and which mitigation strategies have been embraced and how does that have an impact on the outbreak uh, as, as we're currently gathering that data to see if we can show an association between different mitigation strategies and outbreak control. But we're gonna continue to encourage people to embrace the, uh, uh, what was originally put out as the 15 days to slow the spread of this coronavirus and to continue to embrace that. As you look at whether or not these things are working, I mean, it just seems like a piecemeal approach is always going to have holes in it and, and that those holes could potentially be, be very deadly. I think the big thing, Sam, is that, that in order to operationalize this, you really do need not only the buy-in of the American public, uh, but you do need the buy-in and guidance of the civil leaders. Um, we can put out strong, sound public health advice to try to motivate people to embrace these. I think early on, uh, you know, maybe the younger generation may not have embraced them as greatly, let's just say, as the older generation. My sense now is uh, there's uh, a greater embracement um, by really all segments of society. Um, And I think initially a lot of people didn't think the social distancing was really that important you know, particularly if you're young and healthy. Well, it is really important. And I can ask people uh, to go all in on it with me. And and yes, if you're young and healthy, you're likely going to do fine if you get this virus. But we're trying to protect the vulnerable. So I ask people to see their in the face of their parent or grandparent or their neighbor or coworker with diabetes or HIV or a kid trying to enjoy life uh, confronting cancer at a young age. Uh, we're doing it for them. These individuals are the ones that are the most vulnerable. And I just think we just have to keep trying to motivate people to see that they can really make a huge difference. As I said, it's a powerful weapon. And from what I'm seeing is uh, the American public is responding. Uh, People want to be part of the fight. And just just, just finally, thinking about those vulnerable populations, and this will be our final question, I'll let you run. And thank you so much for this time. Is it possible to isolate vulnerable populations while allowing other people to let up? I'm thinking about the policy here in Georgia. Um, You know, the governor has issued kind of a a shelter at home warning for people with underlying health conditions, people who might be older. Is that an, an effective response? Is that something that we can actually do? Let people have normal lives while still protecting the most vulnerable among us? Yeah, I I think there could be an evolution. We're going to say that it's premature right now. We want the whole nation to stay all in. As the president announced the other day to the end of April, we're going to be looking at data. Uh, Clearly, uh, the group that we really want to be extremely cautious is those with chronic medical conditions and the elderly. But, you know, something as simple as a grandchild coming in to say hi to grandma uh, could bring the virus into it. As I mentioned, there's 400, over 400 nursing homes now that this virus has somehow figured out how to get into. Um, so even though we have advocated against nursing home visits. So I think we're going to see, um, you know, it is important that one size doesn't fit all. And there are parts of our country that will, uh, when they have, as you pointed out, the data to know exactly how much virus is in their community. 
they may be able to make local decisions that begin to allow uh, parts of the economy to open up. Uh, and there'll be other jurisdictions that the data will say there's just too much extensive uh, widespread community transmission for us to do that. Now, I think you're going to see that um, that analysis and that data be used to find that balance over the next uh, four, six, eight weeks as our nation does uh, come back to work. The last thing I wanted to say, just to be very clear, I have total confidence that we will get through this. I have total confidence that we'll bring this virus down, but the tool that we're gonna do that is this request for all Americans to really embrace the uh, uh, social distancing that we've requested. And that's again, assuming, uh, we, assuming we, we have that data down the road <laughs> to know which areas are low, medium, and maybe high risk. I, I have no doubt that we're gonna have very good uh, surveillance and demographic data we already do have extensive data, but we will have very good data to, to help local jurisdictions uh, develop those decisions. Dr. Redfield, thank you so much for taking the time to uh, talk with me today. Sam, thanks a lot. Look forward to seeing you again. God bless. Did You Wash Your Hands is a production of 90.1 WABE Atlanta, where ATL meets NPR. You can reach us at washyourhands at wabe.org. You can find all our episodes in your favorite podcast app. That's where you can also leave us a rating and a review. And you can find more stories on the coronavirus pandemic at wabe.org slash coronavirus. If you haven't recently, now might be a good time to go wash your hands. I'm Sam Whitehead. Thanks for listening. Have you donated to WABE yet? I know you've heard us talking about why it's important, but it doesn't have to be this big decision. You can give at whatever amount fits your budget. It can be a spur-of-the-moment thing. You already get so much out of public radio, so just go for it. Visit wabe.org donate and become a member right now. And thank you.